prayer. The reality of prayer is if you try and add it to the fringes of your life, it's just going to fall off mm. because mm. we don't realize that we have to fight for prayer wow. because the world, the flesh and the devil are, are, are have deliberately engineered mm. your life circumstance and the culture around you and your internal you know, all of the internal wounding to battle against the life of God in your life, right? Wow. And so we wow. have to fight for prayer. And so people, they don't realize that, then they have these these desires to pray, but they don't realize that they're going to have to fight for it. Gosh. So it just falls away. Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I am so glad that you are here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Follower Podcast. Um, Man, I've just been enjoying the conversations we've been having on the podcast recently. I hope that you have been enjoying them. Today, we have Jill Weber on the follow podcast with us. Welcome to the follow podcast, Jill. Hey Matt, it's good to be here. Really happy to be able to, to chat with you again. Mm, mm, glad yeah. that you could make the time. We've been trying to record this podcast for a couple of weeks now. Actually. <laughs> we um, made it. We persevered. <laughs> we're finally here. Uh, if you don't know who Jill Weber is, wow. Where would we start? Uh, if you've heard of 24 seven prayer, you would have uh, seen her around there. If you use the Lexio 365 app, you will have heard her voice. And she's oh, actually sorry, wait, 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 we could do it now. Yeah, do your thing, do your thing. <laughs> we just pause to be still. <laughs> <laughs> and breathe slowly. Oh, so good. So if you know Lexio 365, then that's, that's Jill's voice. And uh, she's been on there. She also is part of something called the Order of the Mustard Seed. You may know Jill from there. Uh, She's also developing something called the Seed Community in a place called Waverly Abbey, which is a part of a thing called the Waverly Trust, all very exciting things. Uh, She's also a writer. So she's written a book called Even the Sparrow. um, And we're going to be actually reading some excerpts out of that book uh, as we talk today, but I think more than all of those things, oh, houses of prayer, how could we forget, uh, houses of prayer in Canada, basically an abbess to a bunch of houses of prayer all over the world. Um, so basically all that to say, Jill Webb has, uh, lived a very full life and lives a very full life. It means to say I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I recently had the chance to spend a couple of weeks with Jill and I'm happy to report, you know, uh, Sometimes you you know people from a distance, and then when you meet them up close and personal, can be a disappointment. Uh, yeah, when they say true. like, "Don't meet your heroes," right. it's just like, "Don't right. do it." That's so true, hey. <laughs> uh, but very glad to report that's not the case with Jill. Uh, Jill, I think what I would say is my experience of you, Jill, in the couple of weeks we were together, is just a deep integrity between the message I've heard online and through your resources and the person who walked with me in the garden and sat with me on the benches and reminded me that it's okay to follow the spirit. Um, so thank you for that. And I'm really just so glad that you get to be on the podcast and, and bless uh, the people who listen. So looking forward to our conversation today. Okay, thank um, you. I thought, I thought to start off, I'd love for us to get like a follower version of a lecture opening prayer. 
I thought that would be so nice. And uh, you just read me this one beautiful prayer. And I thought maybe we could just do the pause to be still, all the things, bring us to this moment and enter in with that prayer. How would you feel about that? Yeah. Yeah. This one's hot off the press. It's um, going to be in my next next book. But yeah. So Lord, we just, we do, we pause to be still. And we just breathe slowly and recenter our scattered senses on your presence. And Father, chief architect and builder who wrought worlds with words, speak us into existence. Jesus, who rejoices with the work of your hands, who delights in us mere mortals, we live and laugh under your loving gaze. Holy Spirit, who overshadows us, fill us with wisdom, understanding, and all kinds of skills to make all you have commanded. Strengthen and sustain our hearts and our hands, that we may join in your gladness as together we compose, cultivate, and create. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jill. So um, tell us a bit about you. So the people listening, they, 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 sometimes we know all the things you've done, but tell us a bit about your story. You grew up in Canada. Who, who's Jill Weber a little bit? Who's Jill Weber? Mm, secretly graying on the other <laughs> side of 50. <laughs> Pilgrim. Um, who am I? I yeah, grew up in Canada. Uh, and uh, actually lived kind of all over Canada. My dad got moved around quite a bit in his business, and so um, didn't grow up in the church at all. And uh, my dad met Jesus when I was 14 years old, and subsequently I got dragged to Sunday church camp, or Sunday, you know, to Sunday school and then youth group and then church camp and... Um, I love telling the story, so I'm just going to tell it because it's probably like the story for me of, of the most important of my stories, where I they I was at this summer camp at 14, and they said go out by yourself somewhere and pray, <laughs> and I'd never prayed before, uh, didn't had really no idea what that was, but went and sat under a tree in the dark, and I <laughs> I like to tell the story. I look up. Because I figure if God's anywhere, God would be up. <laughs> and just say, hi, I'm Jill. <laughs> just open the conversation. Like, it seems polite, you know? Yeah. And uh, and then all of a sudden, I'm not alone under the tree. There's this invisible other, this profound sense of connection with something transcendent, uh, which just shocked me. And I did... Um, what every sensible teenager does when they encounter invisible beings in the dark, I ran <laughs> back to my cabin. <laughs> and uh, the next day they shared the gospel and introduced me to the person of Jesus and his invitation to become his apprentice, his disciple. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, sign me up because 
must have been God because God's the only invisible person I know. So mm. that's why I met last night. So it, it it seems at the very least impolite <laughs> to say no. Yeah. And and that just took me on a journey. And um and that's been I often feel like Bilbo Baggins. Mm. You know, I identify as a hobbit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have elvish aspirations or not Galadriel. And it's like, no, I'm definitely a hobbit. And um and uh and Bilbo just had this these unexpected guests in his life who invited him on an unexpected journey. And, and along that journey, he had these traveling companions. And on the journey, he he discovered treasures. And on the journey, he discovered himself um, and realized that there was just all kinds of stuff that had been gifted to him and put in him that he was not aware of. So that, that feels a bit like my journey when I think mm -hmm. about it, because I, I, I made a decision early on that I was going to say yes to God ahead of time. So <laughs> the phrase I use is the answer is yes. Mm. Now, what's the question? Mm. And that, that literally, you know, you kind of, you can let that sort of fly out of your mouth, but but if that is your modus operandi for your life, mm. that that leads to, for me, what has been an extraordinary life, um, extraordinarily difficult, <laughs> extraordinarily challenging, extraordinarily uh, unexpected, and I've been able to see, and I continue to be able to see God at work in and through and around me. Um, doing beautiful things as he is on his mission to make everything new. Mm -hmm. And really all I had to learn how to do is notice and then offer my assent, my yes. Mm -hmm. you know? um, yeah. So that, uh, yeah, I'm 50. So there's, there's a long story of where that right. led me, but that right. led me to, you know, uh, starting a house of prayer in Canada that led me to, um, then moving that house of prayer to an urban, we started in a super cushy, we're like, we'll start a house of prayer and we're going to do it in this super cushy Christian citadel of a television station. It's amazing. There's 24 seven security guard. And that's where we started 17 years later. Our house of prayer was in the basement of a social enterprise cafe in the red district, red light district of mm. a blue collar poor town, where if I paused outside the door of the house of prayer, John's in cars would slow down and be like, yeah, yeah, nope. <laughs> Wow. Not open for business. Wow. Wow. You know, and regularly having to clean our house of prayer community houses out from all the bed bugs that would come and, and be little guests. And um, you know, and so just really went on this really extraordinary journey where we're like, God, we we know you want to invite us to become a people of prayer and to uh invite the people in our city to become a city of prayer. And that's what I, a house of prayer is like, it's a people in a place. Mm -hmm. you know, with a bit of prayerful purpose that's, mm -hmm. and, um, and so what does that look like? We don't want you to build our house. We want to build your house. So what does the house look like? What's the house mm -hmm. you're building? And so that was the journey. Um, mm -hmm. he took us a number of different places. Prayer is great. It's portable. You can do it anywhere. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, so he just kind of moved us around from place to place and ended up in this beautiful, desperate, resilient, lovely, awful neighborhood where we just sought to live out. What does it mean to be the loving presence of a people of prayer there? Mm. Um, and then as eventually led me to the, the 
hills and dales of leafy Surrey, England, in mm-hmm. a grade B listed um, Edwardian mansion on 112 <laughs> acre. And where where it used to be, my street was we could measure my street by the number of police cars that yes. could line up. That's how long we knew our street was by how many squad cars. And there was like sirens and gunshots. And now it's like, oh man, the cows were really noisy last night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And but who knows where we'll go next? Right, right. You know, because um, the answer is yes. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm here yeah. now learning yeah. how to put up with cows. And, uh, <laughs> and but um yeah, it's it's really been quite extraordinary. I just found myself um, meaning if there's a beauty in it because God's purpose is always surrounded, you know, in flesh. Yes. His purpose is always incarnated in people. And so the people that I get to meet along the way have been just utterly delightful, all kinds of people in all mm. kinds of places. And I think I just... Um, I don't know. This feels very mystical and abstract. I'm sorry. Anyway, I've been on a journey. Yeah, <laughs> I've been yeah, here. Yeah. I've been there. I've been enjoying people. I've been watching Jesus build stuff. I yeah. feel like Jesus took a big box of Lego, poured it out of my living room floor at 14 and said, what do you want to build? Right. So I've just been sitting on the living room floor for 35 years. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think one of the things um, that I notice about your life, Jill, um, is that your yes to Jesus, you know, you describe Jesus as someone who's walked with you through a lot of hardship. Mm. Um, and I just wanted to lean in there a little bit. Uh, in your book, uh, on page 202, you've got this poem around kenosis. Um, I wondered if you could read that for us. And then off the back of that, I'd like to pull that thread a little bit, you know, because sometimes, and here's why this is important to me, I'm learning now at the ripe old age of 37, you know, um, that I didn't really understand what my yes to Jesus would mean. And there are areas of sacrifice and pain, difficulty, um, that I didn't know I was saying yes to when I said yes to him. And so I'm wrestling with some of those things in my own personal life. But the more I read the scriptures, the more I I see Jesus saying, come and die, you know come and follow me through these places. So I'd love for us to read that little poem around kenosis and then unpack that thought a little bit because your life has been so much a picture of that, this, this coming and dying. And then, <laughs> like and I can then tell you've suffered, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll start with the poem. Yeah. It's called Kenosis. I didn't think it would feel like dying. The leaf falling to the ground crumpled and spent, brittle veins popping. The seed falling in the ground, cold and dark split. The new life emerging tears me apart. Resurrection plunges upward, leaving me in its wake. A torn husk, forgotten and still. I didn't think it would feel like dying. And thank you for that. Um, You know, we hear stories of, man, how cool it is that you started this house of prayer. 
and then how how wonderful that you then are given this responsibility of helping other people with houses of prayer and how amazing that you now live in an abbey and you know all the things that are happening with 24 7 and it's all it's all so resurrection <laughs> but a lot of your story is a, is very crucifixion yeah. uh, standing in front of a door while people pass you by thinking that you're a prostitute you know I know some of the story you've spoken about dealing with people with addictions and just some of the difficulty in that space tell us a little bit about your crucifixion moments and what did you learn about God in those spaces yeah, I think I think one major crucifixion moment, and I think for me that is just stands so clearly in my mind's eye. You know, I just sort of accepted God's invitation to build the first house of prayer twenty some odd years ago, and and we, you know, we started something. We're pioneering. Pioneering is really exciting, and all these people come because you're pioneering. You're starting something new. I'm gonna discover the church is a lot like five year olds playing soccer, football. You'd call it. So everybody's running to wherever the ball is. <laughs> Nobody holds their position. They're just running after the ball, you know? And so the, so we were the ball, we were the new thing. And so everybody ran to us and then everybody ran off to the next new thing. You wow. know? And, and there we were really believing that God wanted us to raise the water level of prayer over our whole region. And, um, and what we, found out along the way is when you're starting something, when you're pioneering and taking new ground for the kingdom of God, that the enemy is then going to push back, <laughs> try and take, you know, ground back. And we experienced all kinds of spiritual warfare and, you know, just the attrition, people falling away when they really, because prayer, the reality of prayer is if you try and add it to the fringes of your life, it's just going to fall off mm. because mm. we don't realize that we have to fight for prayer wow. because the world, the flesh, and the devil are, are, are have deliberately engineered mm. your life circumstance and the culture around you and your internal, you know, all of the internal wounding to battle against the life of God in your life, right? Wow. So we wow. have to fight for prayer. And so people, if they don't realize that, then they have these, these desires to pray, but they don't realize that they're going to have to fight for it. Gosh. So it just falls away. If you add prayer to the fringes of your life, it will fall off. That is, someone tweet that or something. That is so, it's <laughs> such true? a big thought. I mean, that's my experience, right? right? And so for me, it's been a lifetime of, okay, okay, it's going to fall off the fringes. So I have to put it down the middle. Wow. Right? It's, it's got to be wow. the spine. And and um, anyway, the so falling off the fringes, people falling away, spiritual warfare. And I had this moment in an empty prayer room, because the prayer room was pretty much always empty by then. Mm. And life had been so hard. It had been just all kinds of misunderstandings and my reputation. People just didn't get what we were doing and um, conflict. And we were prayer missionaries and people were like, I'm not going to pay you to pray. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. were broke, you know, right, and, right. and, and for what? Standing in an empty prayer room. Right. Right. And so I had this moment of, of I had I didn't even have any words anymore. And so I was just praying in tongues, really, because I just I didn't even know what to say anymore. I come to the end of myself really. And there was this moment of, okay, if I am always misunderstood, if we are always broke, if we're always under heavy barrage attack from the enemy and in conflict and um I'm still in because mm. mm. ultimately Jesus, you are worthy 
for prayer to rise from this place. That is the bottom line. Wow. And that's the death moment, right? So, because I was, yeah, I was 30 when I started House of Prayer. I'm like, I'm going to be the latest, greatest thing and and start something that's going to transform everybody, you know, and had all kinds of layers of my own uh, ambition and need for... Uh, to be noticed and the need to be powerful and need to be useful. And, you know, I had all these layers like barnacles attached to the shell of what God really wanted to do. And that all had to go. Mm. Right. And the only way that that was going to go was through suffering. Gosh, I didn't even notice it was there. <laughs> right. We don't even know what we don't know. You know, so I, I think that for me was, was a really pivotal moment of like, yeah, I'm still in, if this is all it mm. ever is, I'm still here because you're worthy. Mm. And, um, you know, and then the the suffering that comes with accompanying people on their journey, whether it's people near and dear to me, you know, or people that I get to know along the way uh, and and bumping into the mystery of the great unfixables of our lives and knowing that even though my work is prayer, that I'm not ordering a burger from a drive-thru wow this is not that it's like so do you want healing with that burger you know that's not that's not how it works and it's so interesting because when i get interviewed people are always like so tell me how prayer works Mm. and i'm like whoa way to completely miss what prayer is all entirely about (laughs) (laughs) so i always answer the i always answer that question with a question saying so tell me how does conversation with your spouse work right right and then they realize how ridiculous the question is, yes. right? Prayer is not a machine. It's not a mechanism. It's not a, this is not incantation. This is mystery. This is relationship. This is being wow. shaped in the making. This is putting yourself in the path of a mysterious God who's doing stuff far beyond what my tiny little pea brain could comprehend mm. and whose purposes are far beyond my tiny aspiration. Um. And who ultimately probably is more interested in me looking more like his son than me actually producing anything on the planet. Right. And uh, so there's a lot of dying involved in all of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> layers and layers of it, right? Layers and layers and layers. And we all got a, what is it? Shrek says, ogre's got layers. <laughs> <laughs> ogre's got layers. Human's got layers. <sighs> I think I think Shrek is very profound. I like his other one. It's this... Um, Better out than in. Said. <laughs> I say that all the time when somebody, you know, in the prayer room just falls to pieces. I'm like, yep, let's say a Shrek, better out than in, you know, mm. and and um uh and then just the 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 literally just being on the journey with those who are suffering and mm. not being able to fix them and actually learning how to to move away from soul cure into soul care because i i was in the charismatic tradition right i was shaped and formed by toronto charismatic madness and wonderfulness in the mid 1990s because you were actually right in the thick of the toronto blessing yeah it was yeah that was was, a very formative space for you right it was and so you know so we really wanted to see this suddenly we wanted to see the breaking in of the kingdom of God and that just everything being transformed all in a moment. And, and yeah, God does suddenly God more often does slowly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talk about, you and I talk about spiritual formation, right? It usually happens in very, very small increments over a very, very long period of time. (laughs) 
And uh, one and of so the just, things I love that you said, said is uh, the reason we call them the practices is because they're all really bad at this and we need all the practice we can get. <laughs> so we just got to practice. Yeah. And, and realize that, that when we're on a journey with people, you know, they are going from glory to glory, but it might take our whole lifetime. Yeah. Or it might yeah. take after. Yeah. They might, they might only get to the glory on the other side of death. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so how do we hold that journey of, of um, you know, I love the, you know, Jesus stepped into the world with cruciform love, right? He just went mm-hmm. on the journey with us. He stepped into our suffering and, mm-hmm. uh, and he accompanied us on the journey, carrying resurrection as a seed within him, right? To be born in our own lives, but death had to happen first. And so it's true. I, you know, we've talked about death, right? So I always say the problem that with Satan and God is they're both trying to kill us, right? <laughs> they're both trying yeah. to kill us. And yeah. so that, that means that today is a good day to die. Right. You know, Paul says that, right? I die daily. And so, yeah. And, and I think we're so allergic to cruciform love. I think we're so allergic to, you know, what theologians call the Paschal mystery. Mm-hmm. I think in our, in our culture of um, the cult of comfort, Right. The cult of consumerism, where the gospel is just a product to be consumed, or this newest prayer technique, you know, mm-hmm. um, that we, we're, that's not what God's offering us. <laughs> no. And what would you say, Jill? So I'm thinking about the person who's listening to this. And um, they are going, and that doesn't sound like good news to me, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's someone listening to this. They are going through a really difficult time. Yeah. And this isn't abstract ideas for them. Like they woke up today and life was hard. Whether there was a relational suffering that they're involved in, or maybe it's a physical illness that they're dealing with, or maybe it's a financial, su- like they are in this place of suffering. And we are talking sort of theologically and philosophically, and however true that may or may not be, it still has to land in the life of this person and these people and yeah. so much of our world right now. You know, what, what do you say to people like that? How do they receive yeah. this thing that doesn't sound like good news as good news? <laughs> well, I think the good news is God isn't looking from the clouds, you know, or, or hanging on the edge of the television screen like in the Monty Python movies. You know, going you know, saying, "Oh, poor you," mm. right? I think Jesus plummeted down to the depths to engage um, with us in in the suffering, and he he didn't have to; he chose to. And so, so nobody is ever alone. Mm. I am alone is actually not a factual statement. Right? No one is ever alone. The suffering Jesus is has entered into and is in the midst of your suffering whether you can perceive him or not he is there and um and somehow in the midst of that in in that co-suffering with you he is he is carrying seeds of redemption there's somehow something that he wants to do in that space to um draw you to himself to bring you some measure of life to um, to make some sense of meaning 
Mm. I think Jesus said, my father's always working. And, and I think that if we, if our eyes could be open to see where the father is working in every circumstance, um, that, that change in perception can change our emotional chemistry, can change our experience. Now, all that to say, I had a, a major surgery eight years ago, and I was super excited. I was like, I got like three weeks in bed. I'm going to have all this time to pray, you know, and I looked at walls and drooled for three weeks. Mm. <laughs> like nothing happened, mm-hmm. you know, and all my aspiration for deepening my spiritual experience. But, but, but I think um, I wasn't alone. When I look back, I can see, but at the time I couldn't. So, you know, what I, 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 I just think there's mystery there. And I don't know that I have an answer and a solution, but rather a conviction that there is a God who somehow is in the midst of the great unsolvables in our life, that there is a God who is who has deliberately entered into the very depths of the worst thing that could ever happen to you and yes. is is with you in that space. Yes. And for me, this is this is the power of the gospel and the cross. Uh, because I think like you, I would agree that I, I think anybody who tries to give like a, a tight answer to big questions like those probably hasn't thought it through or, or suffered, or, or, suffered <laughs> or been in yeah. it, you know. But I think where I do find a lot of um, strength in the promise of the gospel, is it's almost like Hansel and Gretel. It's like there's breadcrumbs through yeah. the forest. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Now, hopefully that Except doesn't no take us. Except no witch at the end that wants to eat you up. Yeah, but, yeah hopefully but I that doesn't take us to, to the world's world house. But, but this idea manna, of like. right? Yes, manna in the wilderness, oh, right? Manna. This idea mm-hmm. of like someone has walked this journey with me and before me. And he and the God who's with me and inviting me is not exempt from my suffering, but he has actually embodied it himself and walked the way that leads to life. And so if I can just keep holding his hand, even in the dark, uh, there is a faith in me that believes he'll lead me through the other side because he's walked it before. He he knows the path. You know, I think that's been a comfort for me. Well, and I think I think a God, too, that offers an eternal perspective, right? Because sometimes going through the path means going all the way down to the bottom of it Mm -hmm. and emerging in another life. Mm-hmm. emerging on the other side of eternity. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. so, yeah. Uh, and I think that, that I think the modern church, we have lost our vision of eternity. Mm-hmm. And um, because we, we got it so good here, we don't need eternity. Right. I got a Starbucks down the street. Right. <laughs> you know? right. And, and, and so those who've gone before us who've suffered far, far more than we did, they carried eternity in their hearts. They were like, no, this is going somewhere. This is mm-hmm. going to someone. Mm-hmm. And 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 we we've lost that in our modern, maybe not in South Africa, but certainly in in the northern hemisphere west. We don't mm. think about eternity. Mm. So. I saw uh, I was watching this interview with uh, Bono. I really enjoy Bono. Oh, been, I haven't seen it yet. I've heard about it. Yeah. yeah. And uh it was on the late show. I don't know which one which host it was. But anyway, he said he asked Bono the question. He said, can I ask you, what, what do you think happens when we die? And then Bono paused for a second and he said, um, I think that we're born. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And I just thought, man, that's it. That's it right there. Is that when I'm living with that kind of perspective, because, because life, the whole of life is in a sense a macro expression, like whether we're going to die our many deaths daily, we are all going to die that ultimate death of our, of the physical failing of our bodies. Nobody's going to get out of this in that sense, you know, but it's how yeah, we nobody gets out of the world alive, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, um, and so then how do we frame that death, not as a death, but as a birth? Um, and then how does that change the way that we walk through our sufferings? I think that's that's beautiful. You used the phrase, you were sick when I was with you in Waverly Abbey, and I was just saying, how are you doing? And you carried on saying, these light and momentary afflictions, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. Can I read you a poem that I just wrote recently yes. about birth and death? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so it's it's not finished yet, but you'll get you'll get the idea. It's called Cataclysm. It's the end, or is it the beginning? Oh, divine midwife, tell me when to breathe and when to push. I hear your whisper in my ear. I feel your hand in the small of my back. I panic for a moment, reach for you, flail and grasp. You steady me with your gaze. You guide me with your eyes. You hold my focus. I've been waiting till now, straining for this moment, reaching, diving, spinning, swimming towards the surface. And then the current grasps me, hurls me through the narrow space, pressed on all sides, then thrust into light. Baptism of water and blood. I'm turned inside out, limbs akimbo, spread wide and squalling. The light is bright in my eyes. It's the end. Or is it the beginning? One of the one of the other things you talk about is uh, because what's interesting to me is um, Jesus doesn't lie. That this is this is my thought here is that when Jesus says, "Take up your cross and follow me," and when Jesus says, "I've come that you may have life and life to the full," he's saying the same thing. <laughs> right like these are these are they the same statement it's just that we've interpreted life in such a way and the way to it uh, that often robs us of it um but jesus has this way of leading us to the fullness of life uh we've spoken a little about your crucifixions um you have come through that space uh with this kind of experience of god you talk about how you profoundly met god in the people around you you know, and how you met God in the faces of these people. Um, there was this one excerpt around um, how you pray differently when you know the people. I think it was on page 227 there. Um, I'd love if you could read a little bit about that and then talk about the gift of Christ in the other, um, mm. you know? Yeah. You pray differently when you're embedded on the front lines. When human trafficking has a face, has a name. When you see her come into the cafe every day this morning with bruises around her throat. You pray differently for homelessness when dear friends of yours come to church wild-eyed, unshaven and disheveled, roaches skittering across the back of their jacket. You pray differently when your friend shows you the bruises from her most recent rape and tells how the judge dismissed the case because she wasn't a reliable witness. You don't pray from your head or your theology or even from the scriptures. You pray from your gut 
with groaning. You sit across the room from a tormented soul. You look at them and they look at you and behind their eyes, you can see an unnamed malevolent force staring at you, mocking, and you glare it down saying, the Lord rebuke you. You pray differently when you're praying in the midst. Sometimes it feels like a python's wrapped itself around you and is squeezing your life away. And all you can do is breathe out, please, for deliverance. And um, the reason why I want to talk about this is because there's this passage where, where Paul talks about, he says, uh, we, we share with Christ in his suffering. And there's also this beautiful picture of when Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane just before he's about to be crucified. And he chooses the three, three out of the 12. And he says, will you come and keep watch with me? And throughout the scriptures, and particularly in the New Testament, we can kind of see this theme of like, there's an intimacy with Christ that we're experiencing when we will follow him and co-suffer with him in a way, when we'll enter into the hard things of the world. Sometimes when I uh, speak with people who feel like their faith has gone flat, um, when we get underneath the surface of it, some of the reason for that is because they've, they've kept themselves at a distance from God uh, out of their addiction to comfort. <laughs> Um, and it's not true to say that suffering is in and of itself a good thing, but it is true to say that very often those people who most deeply encounter Jesus and partner with him and walk in deep intimacy with him have met him in the garden, you know, as he has wrestled and prayed and have met him in the streets of Canada in that neighborhood or in the slums of any country or whatever. I wonder if you would say that's true, that as you've said yes and follow Jesus into your crucifixions, have you received the gift of the near Christ? And what has that looked like in the people that he called you to serve? Yeah, Jesus is so beautiful. And uh, um, he, is, <laughs> he is so beautiful. <laughs> um, I love how he incarnates himself in and through people. Right, Teresa of Avila says that Christ has no hands on earth but yours, no feet, you know, no eyes to see the world, that we really truly are image bearers that we are carrying, however marred, right, these echoes of glory. And um, oh, you know, I'm just, when I'm, I'm, I'm struggling for words because what's happening right now is I'm actually seeing person after person after person, right, in my mind's eye, mm. um, and their beauty and their brokenness and their vulnerabilities and their openness and their despair and their hope, their eccentricities, uh, which make them oftentimes marginalized, but always delightful, <laughs> you mm. know? And so, mm. so that for me, I could just see them in my mind's eye. And, um, uh, and I love how he chooses to come to us disguised um, as the least important person in the room. Mm. I call him Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> That's my pet name for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I was reading a book. There's a great book by um, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove on hospitality, I can, Strangers at My Door. And, and he, he was quoting a Benedictine and how in the Benedictine tradition, of course, they're exhorted to treat the stranger like Christ, right? Mm-hmm. To receive the stranger like it's Christ at their door. And uh, and the and the monk was sort of had a twinkle in his eye when he was talking to Jonathan about it. And sometimes the door knocks and they go, "Oh Christ, he's at the door." <laughs> <laughs> you know, which which, which uh, speaks of the glory and the vulnerability yeah. and the complexity. And you know, we all want Jesus in our lives, but He brings all His friends with Him. And are we ready right. for that? And uh, has it been worth it? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Is, <laughs> is, Jesus, is Jesus worth the journey? Yeah. Yeah, he is. You know, I struggle because I there's two parts of me. There is Jill the mystic. I don't know. Jill, Jill the pre- They call me the Lectio lady. I'm like, oh, <laughs> the Lectio oh, lady. Oh, thanks. thanks. <laughs> Got me neatly balked into the size of an app. I'm, I'm not confined to the app. You know, and, I don't live there, right? <laughs> I got a little chair in the back. You have to get through the different, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's Jill the contemplative. Um, and there's Jill the builder. And I struggled with that. You know, I always felt like <laughs> there's Jill and there's Amma Jill. I'm a Jill, you know, the... Um, and 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 I've I've felt the tension of oh I should be Jill the contemplative Jill the mystic Jill the Amma Jill you know but I I'm also Jill the builder and I remember sitting down just a few months ago with a friend of mine who was had been a contemplative nun and uh, she understands me in ways that Protestant evangelicals don't and and she just said oh she said you have some integration work to do. And, and I think what I'm discovering is that Jesus is building his church, which is his people across the earth. He's not building an institution. He's not building a building. He is creating family, kingdom family, which we just happen to call church. Mm. And he loves to build. He's got the box of Lego and he's building a way and he's full of joy. He's full of joy as he is crafting and creating and shaping and forming and, and, um, and and he invites us, he invites me into that joy. And that's the contemplative moment. Mm. Co-creating, being with Jesus on the living room floor. Mm. And, and entering into his joy as he builds. Mm. Um, and, and pausing to savor it along the way. Mm. The contemplative life is partially the life that's learned how to stop and savor. Wow. You know, not in a rush to gobble it all down, but we, we take time to taste it and and to, to enjoy the sweetness of it and to enjoy the sweetness of him and everything he brings to us. So I don't know. Anyway, I'm I'm trying to integrate Ama Jill and Jill mm-hmm. the Builder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And, and enjoy Jesus in the midst. Of... Enjoy Jesus in the midst, because yeah. he's both. He's both places. He's in the city and he's in the desert. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I struggle with that uh, with that tension myself, because I think when I think about a contemplative, and I'm, I think like you, I'm drawn to the that mystic space. I often have a, I don't know, a monk in a cave on a mountain somewhere, you know, and. Uh, in me is also that that sort of entrepreneurial spirit, that desire to pioneer and see things happen. And I do sometimes struggle with the bringing together of those worlds. So that's um, that's very helpful. Well, it is it, what it is is it's generativity. Mm. So Jesus says, "Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit." Mm-hmm. So it's the abiding, it's the communion, it's the contemplation, it's the cave. That that fruit then in, like that always leads to fruitfulness, mm. generativity, mm. because God is birthing His purposes on the earth through intimacy with us, um, and so so we then we step into that co-creation with Him, that participation in in that mission that He's on to make all things new, and uh, and so that's that's where it comes together, right? It's the intimacy unto generativity. Right. And so maybe we're not builders, maybe we're birthers, mm, <laughs> you right. know, and, and yeah. So I think Henry Nowen's got a lovely quote about the difference between successfulness and, uh, and, and fruitfulness, right? Successfulness is his ability. He says is the ability to produce something and then to be able to scale it and quantities and be able to have some control over how it comes forth but fruitfulness comes out of shared intimacy and vulnerability and often suffering. Mm. But it's, it's the, the, the abundant life comes out of the fruitfulness. Mm. It's a much more vulnerable way to be and to build. Mm. But I think that's what we're invited into when we take the contemplative and let it lead us into generativity. Beautiful. I don't know. That's beautiful. That's the things I'm thinking about right now. Anyway. Beautiful. Uh, to end off, if you had, uh, what's the message that's bubbling in your heart at the moment? I know you're working on a new book. Uh, <laughs> what's 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 bubbling up in Jill at the moment? What's bubbling up in Jill at the moment? Just um, the kingdom of God is near. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is uh, at work. Do uh, you know what I on my teams, all the, the different teams I lead, we always have this exercise of stopping and reflecting and saying, where have you noticed God at work in you, through you and around you? Yeah. And I think if we can cultivate that attentiveness to the work of God as he's shaping our own internal universe, as he as and noticing how actually he chooses to manifest himself through us. I do it in England. It's a fun exercise to do in England because the British people are like, no, God can never work through me. And I'm like, false modesty. Just repent of that right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And because uh, we need to understand how God uses us yes. so that we can lean into the like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, um, this is the particular grace, the gift that God has created me to be to give away to the world. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's finding the true self and, and then living in that giving yourself away kind of mode. And then, and where do you see God? Where, where do you see the invitations of God around you? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just watch him do it. 
Mm. So I told the story. I could tell the bees. Is that right? I've told you yeah, the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. fun because we're building a house of prayer here at Waverly Abbey, an abbey in a modern day, the new abbey for a new generation, I think is some of the language that they're using. I'm taking this old monastic site and saying, what can we, what does it look like for us to revive it for here, for now? Mm. Uh, and, and so I have my list of things. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, I would really like bees because the world needs bees and bees are the underdog <laughs> and it, we got 112 acres and there's gardens and I really want bees. And so I was at church one day about five months ago and um, the guy beside me in the middle of church turned to me and said, uh, do you want bees? Just out of nowhere. Right. And, and he didn't know I needed bees and he just all of a sudden had an impulse to offer me bees. And so we had, we put beehives in the Abbey and we got our first honey uh, got our first little bit of honey. So I just love that, you know, that, mm-hmm. and, and then recently because we have 112 acres and we want the whole site to be a place of healing and restoration and, and resurrection. I love Wendell Berry talks about practicing resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to just have gardens. We want to have therapeutic gardens, you know, where people can come in and that, and just really experience the healing that can come in those spaces. But I'm like, Lord, I need a farmer. <laughs> And so yeah. I was walking down the hall last week and away really happy. Some guy stops me in the hall, nose to nose. He's like, do you need a farmer? <laughs> <laughs> like, As a matter of fact, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and, and so I, I think that's for me, is just where it gets really fun because it's, yeah. I'm not building this thing. Yeah. I'm yeah. building this thing. Yeah. It's so fun. And it's yeah. almost like he's like, he just keeps throwing these things at me to see what I'll do with them, you know? And, uh, yeah, that just, that's a joy. That's abundant life, right? It's just right. like, okay, Jesus, whatever you're doing, I'll just, I'll, I'll just step off my path that I thought I had for me. And I'll just go to be with you where the thing you're doing. Right. 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 And then you're just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is not what I expected. And it's harder and more beautiful and more surprising. Um and mysterious and i i don't know i can't really wrap words around mm. that's me pay yeah. attention notice if we yes. can pay attention and then say yes first and then figure it all out later <laughs> what kind of life could we lead absolutely yeah pay attention i love that you said that you know the kingdom of god is at hand it's all around us and the key to living in it is attention and obedience yeah right? i love that like just pay attention the god, kingdom of god is everywhere and uh, say yes, and then let the rest follow. Yeah. Jill, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being on the follow podcast. Yeah, I, I thanks for the conversation. <laughs> I always enjoy wonderful. my conversations with you, Matt. So yeah, yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to find Jill's stuff, um, I probably think Jill. Correct me if I'm wrong, but JillWeber.com is probably the best place to go. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. could. Um, my books too are carried. My publisher in the age of like, let's not use the big box publisher. My publisher is Muddy Pearl. You could look okay. me up with Muddy Pearl if you wanted my book. So great. And on the socials, uh, Instagram and all these things. Be true, be kind, go. B E T R U B. I don't know. Look up be true, be kind, go. Be true, I'm be there. Kind, go. Yeah. Or you can. Uh, when we post this on social media, you can follow the links there. And then all these links will also be in the show notes uh, when we publish this podcast. Jill, I wonder if we can close, maybe, would you be able to just pray for the people listening to this? So 
this audience is coming from all over the world, uh, different people trying to follow Jesus. Uh, some people look more classically like they're in ministry land. Other people are um, doctors and moms and dads and waiters and lawyers and different people. Uh, could you just pray a blessing over these people as in the midst of a pretty complicated world? <laughs> We're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus well. I want to pray for them using my last poem. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. Right. Let's go. This one is, now you'll just all have to take it for yourself. The language is going to be me, but know that it's for you. So, called My Life as a Dandelion. Weedy and seedy, that's me. Not wedding bouquet material, but I adorn the heads of children as milky fingered they weave me into a crown and regally wave at passersby. My husband's name is William, pronounced Wilhelm, if we're properly German, which we're not. Wilhelm means helm of resolution. You're stubborn, I chastise. Not stubborn, resolute, he grins. Resolute, stubborn. Like the dandelions proliferating in our backyard. Mow them down and they spring up again. Mow them down and they spring up again. Like the old man in the Monty Python movie. I'm not dead yet, really, I'm feeling quite fine. Or the soldier whose opponent systematically hacks off all of his limbs. It's only a flesh wound, I cry. It's only a flesh wound. Weedy and seedy. How many of my companions clutch me in their grasp, faint of breath, but blowing their wishes. Their dreams and disappointments trace curlicues in flight. They flutter and twirl and land and curl their way into the receptive earth. Don't cry. It's not dead. It's a seed. Watch and wait for the unveiling. It will spring up again. And so, Father, I just pray for all those listening that you would be weedy and seedy, that you would be stubborn. <laughs> and we just pray over every dead dream lying in the ground, every disappointment, every loss, everything that's fallen to the earth. And we just declare over it, it is not dead. It is a seed, and it will spring up again. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. Amen.